1: Radio. I'm your host, Amy Montgomery, entrepreneur and digital marketing agency owner. Today, my guest is Kenneth Berger. He is an executive coach who helps startup leaders to fend off burnout, build deep trust with their teams, and leave their unique mark on the world at large. Kenneth, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks, Amy. Glad to
1: be here. I'm so excited for our conversation today. What was your journey to becoming an executive coach? How did you get to where you are today?
0: Well, a, a a circuitous route, as uh, I think a lot of people have done, it's, it's funny because one of the ways that you know, I found my way in, into coaching was through just revealing a lot of the things I'd previously been ashamed of, right? Like all the times I'd been fired or had trouble in previous roles. And I, I realized at a certain point that I had a ton of shame around these things that I thought, oh my gosh, like if people knew that I'd been fired or I broke up with my co-founder that... I'll never work in this town again. And I was like, man, these are some crazy stories in some sense. Like everybody, like these things are not so uncommon that they don't happen to other people. And so in some sense, I think of that as the beginning of my journey is like owning the ways in which my career hadn't gone the way I wanted up to that point. And instead of being ashamed of them, really trying to find the lessons in them and not making them secret things, but putting them out there to the world. And I started doing talks about my lessons that I'd gone through those years, hard won lessons. And I think I I tried doing more advice coming up because I worked at companies like Slack that people wanted to know, how did Slack do it? What's the secret sauce? And I think I tried giving straight up advice and I found it just wasn't as useful as, as coaching, frankly, of going deeper into asking, like what's the thing that's right for you as opposed to what was the thing that worked for me?
1: That's so true. How many times out there do you see these one size fits all things? And it really, nothing really is a one size fits all. Everyone has to go on their own journey. So what are you grateful for walking through your journey?
0: What am I grateful for? I think I'm grateful for second and third and fourth chances, first of all, right? It's, I think it's one of these things like that, that narrative of, oh, like if I screw this up or if I don't do this perfectly, then everything's going to be awful. And who knows what's going to happen after that. And I think you know, my my experience is that you get second and third chances, right? There's consequences for, for your actions. And I had hard times in my career too. But now I look back at that and I feel like all those were learning opportunities and they were meant specifically for me in a certain sense. And yeah, now I'm grateful because I have this career that I love that's meaningful to me that lets me keep the lifestyle I want and, and for my family. it really feels like a win-win. but it was not clear all, at every point along the journey that would happen.
1: What are the signs of burnout and how do you help executives keep it from happening to them?
0: Mm, yeah, it's interesting because I think burnout is a useful it's a useful term in the sense that it has cachet, right? Like people know about burnout. they're like, oh, it's something that could happen to me. I don't want it to happen. And so I, I think it's useful to put a name on it to say like, no, this is too far, it's over the line. But in the same sense, like the things that constitute burnout are things that are universal in all of us, like self-doubt, right? Or not always feeling engaged with our work. And so I think the way I think about burnout is when these things start creeping up from being things you feel every once in a while, or that can come up, but you can dismiss them and get back into your work or get back into having confidence in yourself, and it starts to become just overwhelming, right? I think of people feeling exhausted, of not feeling engaged with their work anymore, not feeling like it really has any meaning, like the sense of, oh, like, what's the point? Why even bother? Is it really going to make any difference? And, and it's, it's insidious, right? Because you can imagine those are kinds of thoughts that all of us might have at one point in the day, but things get bad enough. Like you don't treat yourself well enough. You're not taking care of yourself in the way... That you need to or put yourself in the circumstances that you want for your life, that it starts to become big and overwhelming. And that is when we typically start calling it burnout. And for better or worse, people often start doing something about it, right? Which is the opportunity.
1: So when someone comes to you and they feel like they're not trusted at work and they're losing connections, what are some of the things that you walk them through?
0: It's again, like trust is such an interesting thing. What I see is most people, 99% of people, myself included, come in, we have our first discussions and their model of trust is, well, some people are trustworthy and some people aren't, or it's some situations are safe and some situations aren't safe. So if I'm with these people, I can trust them. Or if I'm in this situation, I know I can generally be okay there, but otherwise the sense is the world's not safe, right? So they come in with this view of the world as scary in some sense of like, oh my gosh, like unless I specifically verify these people or these situations, or I do these external things to make myself safe, to build trust, to find trust, um, then, then I'm basically in a dangerous, scary, unknown world. And as much as that's a very common perception, like I tend to find like it's not necessarily a productive one, right? That when people actually look at their histories, usually what they find is not that they did everything perfectly and they only dealt with trusted people and they were always in the perfect circumstances. It's the opposite, right? There've been all sorts of crazy people, trustworthy and untrustworthy in their world. All sorts of crazy things have happened to them in different circumstances and they made it through anyway, right? Like it wasn't like they did everything perfectly and that's how they got where they are. It's that they were imperfect the whole time, but they were still able to deal with whatever came to them. And so that's That's a model of of trust that I tend to coach people into over time, because as much as it can be absolutely useful to build trust with, you know, individuals, and of course there's techniques for doing that. Often vulnerability is task number one, right? If you want them to connect with you, you need to step up and connect with them, show a little bit more candor, a little bit more vulnerability of yourself. And so that stuff is great. And it's not that I don't love that, but it's necessary, but not sufficient in the sense that if you're spending your whole life saying, okay, everyone out there is untrustworthy and scary and I need to get vulnerable with all of them in order for me to be okay. It's like, it's still a lot of pressure, right? And ultimately, you're not gonna connect to the same degree with everyone, right? Usually most of us have to work with people that aren't like us. And maybe like, we wouldn't be friends in everyday life. And yet, like, how do we have a productive working relationship with them or relationship at all? And so to me, that comes back to not this external sense of trust. Certain people are trustworthy but an internal sense of trust. I trust myself to be able to deal with whoever and whatever comes my way. And to me, that's the big shift, right? Of I don't need to be perfect. I don't need other people to be perfect because I know I can handle whatever comes.
1: What do you think holds most people back from making their mark on the world?
0: Ooh, that's a big one. <laughs> what do you think is holding people back from making their mark on the world? I, I think the thing that comes up for me is around finding your own leadership style. That so many people that I talk to are, I don't know how how to put it, but following someone else's script, right? Like they have a certain model of leadership where they're like, okay, I need to be a gray haired white man who talks loud and interrupts people. And for for me, I'm a gray haired white man. I talk loud. So I'm like, okay, maybe I can do it. Maybe. But if you happen to not look that way, then well, that script's not going to work for you, right? And you're set up for failure from the very beginning. I don't want to blame, right? Because of course, there's all these societal things that are there in terms of traditional models of leadership and received Mm -hmm. wisdom that society tosses at you if you're not a white man or either way. But ultimately, what I see is whatever you look like, whatever your background is, whatever your personality is, the way you tend to be most successful in the world and making whatever impact that you want to make is by being yourself and not saying, oh, what I need is out there. I need to read all the things and buy all the things and take all the classes and then I'll be okay. But to say, again, I already have the tools. I'm not perfect. I've got areas to grow. I've got things to learn. I can leverage the things I'm already good at. And so often where I'm going with clients is to away from this idea of I'm missing something to like, I have something. Like, what are the strengths I already have that I haven't fully been leveraging? Because I think once they start thinking of those as, oh, that's not just like a party trick I have that I'm good at connecting with people, or I'm good at understanding emotions, or I'm good at analyzing a situation and sort of cracking the puzzle or whatever their superpower happens to be. Like those are all leadership styles. Those are ways in which you can make the the impact you want to make on the world. And so I think getting out of trying to play someone else's script and into really building your own and embracing your own strengths is to me, the path towards making the impact on the world you want to make.
1: There's two things that you said in the answer. One around just the stereotypical things that we are presented with of how you're supposed to look or present yourself and I'm 50 well and I've always looked really young and when I was at Deloitte for 7 years there's the there's the Deloitte uniform you're supposed to look a certain way and I'd look at all these mm-hmm. other women that wore what I would categorize as more mature type clothing and every time I would put them on I'd look like a little girl trying to like dress <laughs> up <laughs> just cuz I didn't look my age right And so I struggled with that many years, trying to be professional, looking like I was trying to be something that I wasn't. And then the other thing, and now I'm, now I don't care. I just, I'm just going to be who I'm going to be. And I'm trying to fit into whatever. But the other thing that you were saying about finding what you are really, really good at and really focusing on that. Because if you don't, and you're focused on all the shortcomings or the things that you've things you haven't checked off, you end up getting kind of in the wrong roles and where your performance is graded on the wrong things versus all of your amazing strengths. So I I really love that.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So what is the most important thing to focus on, especially when it comes to really making your mark and really wanting to go full on into your calling and purpose, whatever that may be?
0: Hmm. I mean, obviously there's lots of individual paths. And I think that I, generally I try to meet people wherever they are on their growth path and trust that they know best where next to go in some sense, that wherever they're going next is where they're meant to go next. So I think, you know, that's one way of answering it being like, I don't know, it's where clients take me, right? It's where we go together. But I will say one theme I do tend to see is just that so much of change in general comes down to mindfulness. Right, that it's easy to say I want to be this, I want to do this, I want to do that. But if you're using the same tools and the same patterns that you've been using forever, and those tools and patterns haven't been getting you to where you want, then yeah, you're likely to be finding yourself in the same place again and again. And so, to me, the general path to shifting that, and which can manifest in all sorts of different ways depending on the person and what their goals are, is just about can I recognize when I'm doing a certain thing, when I'm in a pattern. And can I decide to shift and say, oh, well, historically I've done this. Like when so-and-so says something that annoys me, I go, or I go, mm, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to pretend this is fine. Like whatever our historical response is, we can actually have a moment where we rise up above ourselves and say, oh, hmm, I'm doing the thing now where I, when someone says something that bothers me, I clamp up and I pretend nothing happened. I don't say anything. And I'm like, gosh, okay. I could do that. Or do I want to do something different? And that right there, like that moment, that's the kernel of change, right? Of just being able to be aware of the decisions you're making and having a bigger sense of, I can make different choices. Because once you realize that you're doing something and you realize that you have other choices, well, then you can do whatever you want, right? It's just, it's like a business problem, like any other business problem, like, gosh, like what 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 action should we take? What process should we use for this? And the the thing that enables that is just being able to see the process itself of, Gosh, like how do I react? What what emotion is present for me? Like, what's my inclination here? Like, what's the impact of what when I do this versus when I do this? And once you have the awareness, then there's data, like you can think about it consciously. It's no longer in the unconscious. And the sky's the limit. And to me, that's like one of the big lifelong practices of of personal development is there's always going to be more mindfulness work to do, to be more in the moment, to be more aware of whatever patterns you have and giving yourself the power to shift them.
1: So in what ways can you use your emotions to help direct you down the right path?
0: I honestly think of emotions just as data. and, And that's probably biased by me coming from the tech world and having all these tech world clients, because data feels very safe and familiar, right? It's like, we all know what to do with data. We use it to make decisions. And when I work with clients who are less comfortable with expressing emotion or naming emotion or noticing it in themselves, I often explain it that way because there's this idea of like, ooh, like emotions are like this woo woo thing and they're not that important, or emotions are something to be dominated and crushed down and made to be whatever I want them to be. And so I tend to think of it more like, stubbing your toe. If you trip over something, you stub your toe and your toe hurts, that's important data. You're like, maybe I'm going to be more careful about where I step, or maybe I'm going to be a little more you know, careful on my toe the rest of the day to make sure I don't re-injure it. And emotions are much the same way, right? Intelligence within them may not be quite as obvious as, as stubbing the toe, but honestly, like, it's not necessarily that mystical or opaque, right? If you're feeling fear, that's intended to keep you safe. That's the historical purpose of fear. And the reality is that usually we're not really in danger. There's no tigers chasing us down, right? Like we're not in any you know, physical danger. Like usually our lives are pretty stable, even if it seems really scary in the moment. And so often for me, the question behind fear is what needs to be faced, right? And it isn't necessarily the obvious thing, right? Because sometimes fear can create all these stories in our head and we think it's about one thing, but really it's about the other. But to me, fear always brings up a question of, gosh, like, what needs to be faced here? Like what in the world or what in myself? And you can think of similar things for, for other emotions, right? Like, like for anger, like something usually needs to stop or change. If you're angry, you can say, oh, this is so wrong. It shouldn't be this way. I don't want it to be this way. This is so wrong. Pointing your fingers at the world and you know, just taking the victim stance. Or we can say, wow, I am feeling an urgent message that something needs to change. What am I going to do about it, right? And so it's not to say that fear and anger aren't big or hard or painful because of course they are. But I think that often when people take that data stance of like, there's some intelligence in this emotion and I need to listen to it and understand what it's telling me to do in the same way that I listen to my toe when I stub my toe. And if I ignore it, well, you're just going to injure your toe again, right? We all know how that goes.
1: What are some of your client success stories?
0: What I think of is the classic like coaching client success stories. They raised a hundred million dollars or their company went IPO or they made the VP, you know, role that they wanted. And I find it so funny because I mean, maybe it's just my clientele, but I work with all these super smart, high achieving people. And so obviously they have goals and dreams too, and ways they want to do more in their lives but usually it's not the ambition that's been lacking, right? Usually they have plenty of ambition, plenty of intelligence and drive to go for these things. And often the thing that's more missing is just taking care of themselves of like, okay, like while you've been striving for the brass ring and working yourself from dawn to dark, then like, how's your body feel? Like, how do you feel day to day? I often talk with clients about vision and values, right? And I think often people are very focused on the vision piece of like, okay, I have a dream, it's somewhere over there, like I'm going to get there and it's going to be the greatest thing ever. And what I find is that usually vision is less about actually getting there and more about the passion of the journey to get there, right? That there's something inspiring. Whether or not I ever get there, it's really meaningful to me to strive for this goal, right? Right world peace or solving hunger or whatever it is, whatever that big, meaningful goal is for your life. What I find is that it tends to be inspiring for people, but it doesn't necessarily change their day-to-day. Just because you have a super inspiring, great vision doesn't mean on some Tuesday, you're not like, oh, I feel like crap. I'm so annoyed and frustrated and tired and sick and whatever other negative emotions or negative feelings you might be feeling. And so to me, my biggest client success stories are about that. Of someone who they have a fancy title, their LinkedIn looks really good, but they figured out a way to find balance, to take care of themselves where they can stop working at six. They've been able to find space to have a family. I have a client who went out on maternity leave recently, and it was a great process to really figure out how did she want her work to be? How was it going to change? Like bringing, you know, a baby into the picture. How could she both express her desires in terms of who she wanted to be as a mother and to not let that stop her from being the executive that she wanted to be. And that requires a lot of hard boundaries and choices and really sticking up for herself in ways that are not easy. And so I was really proud of her for making that happen because that's the whole having it all dream. And I don't know what the magic solution to that is, but seeing at least one person get that was really powerful and inspiring to me. And those are the things that mean a lot to me in general. Like not not like the, my client got the fancy title or raised a hundred million dollars, but the like they were able to create a life that they wanted and do the super ambitious, awesome thing, or even that their company didn't raise the hundred million dollars and they were able to deal with it and not, you know, go into a deep depression because they didn't get to the outcome, right? Because we don't always get to our visions, right? Like every dream we put out there doesn't necessarily happen, but again, it comes back to that trusting we can handle it, right? If you're going to be okay, no matter what, then you don't need to raise the 100 hundred million dollars. You might try your best and put everything into it and also give yourself the tools where you're going to be okay, no matter what.
1: If you were able to give yourself one piece of advice when you first started out, what would it be?
0: Mm. I mean, it's funny. My joke is always that coaching advice sounds like Hallmark cards. Like that's why you need it done <laughs> one-on-one. Like if you just wrote it down, you're like, oh, this is so like cliched and modeling. But, but to me, it's like my, my advice for myself would be, focus on relationships that I remember when I first started out as a coach, I was like, all right, I know sales. Like I'm going to sell this. Like it's a SaaS product. And I was like, guess what? Like coaching is an intimate relationship. It's not a SaaS product. And and when I think about like, what are what are the ways I invested in my coaching business that made a difference for me, like as an individual and made a difference for my clients in terms of making an impact in their lives, it was like real deep relationships, not like not people being like, hey, LinkedIn contact from seven years ago, like, want to strike up a conversation about coaching? Cause I did plenty of that, right? I did all the sort of sales stuff that you'll get in advice in various ways. I did blogging and on talks and all these things. But in the end, for me at least, like the thing that really yielded results were building deep relationships with people, building that trust, because then that's where the referrals came from. That's where the really you know, huge change in clients came from like is the people where we had a deep trust and we were able to do the work that that deep trust can produce.
1: I absolutely love that. I started my agency in August mm-hmm. and $0 didn't have a single client. And I got 20 clients in the first month broke a record for really anyone that I know that's ever had an agency. In fact, I'll be on a podcast tomorrow about it, but I was able to grow my business so fast because I did just what you said. I focused on building relationships versus going out and selling at people.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: So if there is somebody that is listening that would love to work with you, what's the best way to contact you?
0: You should check out my website, kberger.com, K-B-E-R-G-E-R.
1: Perfect. I'll put that link down below and as well as your LinkedIn. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise today.
0: It's my pleasure. Thank you, Amy.
1: Yeah, it's been amazing. And if you're listening, you want more information about this podcast or our upcoming shows, you can visit a call to thrive.com. Thank you, everyone, and have a wonderful week.